Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Pat Higgins, and you are listening to the very first episode of Jinx, the Pat Higgins Film Podcast. Uh, if you've never come across anything I've ever done before, then I don't know how the hell you've managed to find me out of the sea of podcasts that are out there, but I'm very glad that you have. Basically, if you've never come across the stuff that I do before, I tend to work a lot in low-budget horror, both as a screenwriter and a director. I've been known to produce stuff before. Uh, and when you join us at this point, we're at an exciting part of development where our latest movie, Power Tool Cheerleaders vs. The Boy Band of the Screeching Dead, yes indeed, I will say that title again, Power Tool Cheerleaders vs. The Boy Band of the Screeching Dead is actually just approaching the last five days of a mammoth Kickstarter um, campaign where we went from uh, being a, a largely sort of unknown commodity through to within the first week we were the most popular Kickstarter film campaign on the face of the planet which was mad uh, and now as I say as we get towards the end of our campaign we're currently on about £17,200 uh, of an overall target of 25000 so if you're listening to this podcast in the first few days that it's up please head over to jinx.uk point your browser that way and you can check out our movie power tool cheerleaders versus the boy band of the screeching dead there are a lot of mad perks on there there's some really a kind of unusual stuff you can uh you can buy perks that are things like set visits you can add your groaning noises to the overall zombie mix there's all kinds of stuff that's there uh that you can get involved in and we really need your help because at this moment we're not sure whether we'll get across the 25 grand and obviously that is an all or nothing proposal. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast in the first few days, uh, please do hit jinx.uk and choose yourself a pledge. Um, if you're listening to it a bit later, then you might go there and see whether we were actually successful or not. Um, that might be a fun way to spend some time. Um, yeah, as I say, I've worked in, uh, in, in the UK film industry, particularly surrounding horror, for about 15 years now. And in the course of this podcast... Uh, I'd like to talk to some other people that have been involved in film, but I also want to be really honest about uh, my own experiences and stuff like that as we kind of go through as well. Um, I always wanted to be involved in film right from the very start of my life, right from the point where I was like three years old and I fell asleep in Star Wars in the cinema. Yes, I went to see it in 1977. Yes, I fell asleep. I was three years old. Don't judge. It's cool that I was there in the first place. And it was a bloody evening show. Um, but I actually talked to my mum into taking me again the following week. So I saw Star Wars, fell asleep, and then went and saw it again um, <laughs> the next week. Uh, but from seeing Star Wars, and weirdly enough from seeing the uh, 70s re-release of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, both of these experiences uh, fried my young brain and made the idea of any kind of career that wasn't involved in the UK film industry frankly unappealing. I decided at that point that was all I wanted to do with my life and that's the way that my life has gone since then. Um, I didn't get on particularly well at school because school did not value the same things that, <laughs> that I did uh, and when I got to 16 I, I left the school that I was at and went uh, to a local college so that I could at least study film studies and media and things like that. The stuff that I'd actually found particularly kind of engaging. Went off to university, did uh, a English and media degree at university, 
came out and found that I couldn't get any jobs in the industry anywhere, which is a, an experience that I'm sure a lot of people involved in the industry have had. Um, I basically did any kind of low paid jobs that were remotely connected to film just to stay somewhere connected to the thing that I loved. Uh, I worked in Romford Odeon for a few years, so I may have torn your ticket if you went to see like The Rocketeer or Problem Child 2 or In Bed with Madonna or something like that. I probably tore your ticket in the Romford Odeon. Um, and then as the years went by, I, I worked in Blockbuster Video in Westcliff-on-Sea uh, and in Lee-on-Sea. It was a bit of a tour of duty of Blockbuster Videos there. But all of this was just a way of staying close to the thing I loved, which was film. While I was doing that, I would work as an unpaid runner on movies if I could blag a gig doing that. Um, but I felt like the opportunities were passing me by. I, I, I was trying to learn screenwriting um, and I, I wasn't really getting anywhere very much with that. Uh, and I began to panic when I sort of started edging towards my late 20s that I was forever destined to be a dude who worked in blockbuster video but never wrote or directed any of the movies on the shelves. So um, when we got to about 2003, my wife and I uh, were planning to buy a car with some money that we'd got in the bank. Uh, I instead suggested that we made a film and my wife being the greatest human being who's ever walked the planet uh, said yeah alright so we made an incredibly low budget uh, midnight movie called Trash House uh, which we shot for a few grand in a warehouse in, in Shoebury Ness uh, edited on a 20 gig hard drive because that's what technology was like in the grand old year of 2004 remember 2004 was before things like YouTube even existed which basically meant if we didn't know how to do something tough we had to work it out ourselves uh, all of the old advice was related to shooting on celluloid and the the digital help landscape really wasn't there which is why if you watch my debut film Trash House which is probably still available in pound shops around the country um, if you watch it now it 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 looks shit um, because that was all we had the uh, technical capacity to do in 2004 however um, somehow we got the movie made and because there were so few British movies British horror movies made that year I think there were a grand total of 16 uh, we got wide distribution for it we ended up in every blockbuster in the country which for me as a former blockbuster employee meant an awful lot. Uh, the movie got out there, the movie got a, a qualified positive review in Empire in that it said it had clever ideas but dodgy tech credits and we were off and running. Somehow I, I then had crowbarred my foot into the door uh, of finding some kind of film career for myself it meant that we were able to get some backing to make a couple more micro-budget horror movies, which were Hellbride and Killer Killer, uh, both of which ended up coming out on DVD all over the world. Um, Killer Killer got a, a small cinema release in uh, Germany. And then with the because we brought them both in under budget, there was literally about a grand and a half left in the, the bank account at the time we, we wrapped Killer Killer. Uh, and I ingeniously thought, hey, let's do another movie with the grand and a half left in the bank account. So we shot a movie, uh, the cheapest way we could possibly think of, which was to do a fake documentary with an awful lot of talking heads. That was called uh, The Devil's Music and it ended up being the best 
movie of the four. Uh, I got the best critical appraisal. I think it's generally a, a pretty cool movie. It's kind of spooky and weird. It's a fake documentary about uh, the music industry. Um, so I was able to incorporate a lot of the stuff that I was fascinated with and that I loved. And The Devil's Music, uh, as I said, kind of set the, the trend for where my career went from there. From that point on, I've done uh, rewrite work on uh, other movies. I've sold scripts to third parties. So films like Strippers vs. Werewolves started off as a, uh, a screenplay on my Mac and ended up uh, being produced by a different production company. Um, as I say, rewrite work and third party sales. I've sold spec scripts on both sides of, uh, of the pond now. But I still very much feel like it's all a learning process. Every day I'm confronted with new stuff that, uh, that is a challenge. And that's why on a podcast like this, it's really great to be able to talk to other people in the industry about their own experiences. Now, uh, my guest on the show today is working with me on that movie that I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, the movie Power Tool Cheerleaders versus The Boy Band of the Screeching Dead was one of these cases where a title kind of got me in trouble. I suggested it on Twitter in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way. I'd, I'd maybe written like half a page of development stuff and I thought, no, nah, that's not going to work. Uh, but I mentioned the title and Charlie, who I'd worked with uh, previously on Strippers vs. Werewolves, just said, yep, that's it, we're making this film. Um, and I was like, oh, right, I hadn't really written it at that point. Um, but Charlie came on board as the producer. She started approaching uh, casts, some really, really fantastic cast. And from that point on, it suddenly became a go project before we'd uh, before I'd really completed a script. I now have a complete script that I'm really proud of. Um, it's a blood-soaked musical. It's a musical. I wrote 11 songs for it that, have, that are then taken away from me because I'm musically completely talentless. They go over to a dude called Phil Sheldon, who is one of the most incredible musical geniuses I've ever met in my life. And that means I get the joy of writing really awful songs on an acoustic guitar, and he turns them into music that people might actually want to listen to. So that's a very different kind of feel. Anyway, I've written the, I wrote the script and the songs for it, um, and then with Charlie's assistance, we've actually cast this movie, we've shot a promo for this movie, and then, as I say, we entered this, uh, this Kickstarter phase where our Kickstarter movie went on to be the most popular film Kickstarter on the face of the planet within a week of launching, which was kind of amazing. So uh, I'm really, really pleased to have uh, Charlie on this, which is the first of our podcast, hopefully the first of many, and uh, I'm going to head over to the pre-recorded uh, Zoom conversation I have with Charlie now, and I'll, I'll see you on the other side of this conversation. Okay, we're going to be joined now by the incredible, the one, the only Charlie Bond, who will be appearing in Power Tool Cheerleaders, not just as the main character of Emily, but has also been our producer right since day one and has bring, been bringing this entire project together. Welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for being my first ever guest on Jinx, the Pat Higgins film podcast or whatever I end up calling it. I haven't quite decided yet. Hello, hello, and thank you for having me. It's an absolute treat to come along and be on a podcast on this lovely socially distant weird times. It, it is a bit, it's still, it, it, yeah, it, it's not quite the same as sort of meeting face to face, but we're, I, I've kind of got used to Zoom now over, you know, over the last six months, whether I like it or not. At the start with, I was like, no, and now I, I feel like I spend more time speaking to people through computers than I do in real life. I love it. It means I don't have to put on deodorant. <laughs> Is that that's a thing? That's an issue, again. is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm never having social contact ever again. It's fantastic. 
Well, um, it, and it enables us, of course, to do things like this at fairly short notice. Obviously, we're running right up towards the end of our Kickstarter campaign at the moment. I've been sort of jabbering about that a bit, as you can probably imagine, uh, previously in the podcast. But from your perspective, what could you share with our audience about that? Uh, so I think what I, it's the most exciting thing right now is that there is not a lot of filmmaking going on right now, obviously, uh, because not only is it very, very difficult to to get onto a film set, everybody's doing what they can to, to stay afloat and make money. You know, I know filmmakers that are going off and working at Sainsbury's. I know people that are just doing everything they can because there's no there's not even any corporate work to keep regular filmmakers going. Um, so right now. Uh, we are very, very lucky and that, you know, alongside our current jobs and, and other things that we're doing, we can start creating some art. And this is the thing that keeps us going. This is the sort of thing that keeps us completely fueled and at a time where it is impossible to be creative, we still have that outlet. Um, so it is a very exciting thing for us to, to, to be able to do this. And we hope that it's exciting for other people as well to know that there is still art being made and things that they, they will be able to go and see, you know, in, in a year when the, the, the film festivals are hopefully all back to normal, uh, you know, I, I am genuinely worried that, that there will be a, a, such a, a smaller selection of projects for, for people to, to be able to, to go and see, but not too worried because it means that the, the competition will be less for um, <laughs> awards. So not, not, uh, not the worst time really to make a film. No, absolutely. I, you know, if we can pull all the elements together, obviously it presents challenges, but with challenges also do come opportunities to reach audiences that you might not have done otherwise and, and, and so on. Um, I mean, you've, you've created a name for yourself, not just within the film industry, but also the escape room community. Um, can, can you tell me a little bit about that? It's, it, it, to me, it's fascinating. I, I've only ever, uh, I've done escape rooms as a customer um, and love that side of things. Um, but how did that come about? So when I, um, you know, I, I was doing my, my training uh, as an actor, obviously, you know, you are doing all manner of jobs. To, to kind of get you through that that time and to, to keep doing performing things, you know, and I was working in, in things like call centers, um, you know, I've worked, uh, obviously, obviously been a totally cliched waitress. Uh, I've been a door bitch at various clubs. I've done all sorts of things. Uh, Sorry, a door all, bitch? Is that a bit. phrase? Yes, yeah, she's, she's a bitch. I've been that bitch that sits <laughs> on the door and goes, no, you can't come in. You're, I've, I've, I've never heard that phrase. I must have lived a sheltered life. I've never heard that phrase. <laughs> yes, sit on the door and go, no, I don't like the cut of your jib one dot. Uh, there's no coming into this club for you. Well, actually, just to make sure that people are on, on various lists. And, yeah. you know, your I, name's I like not down, you're not coming in, that kind of thing, yeah? Exactly. Uh, so I, I quite like, you know, the control of, of that, you know, the power. Um, and that's that's a fun thing for, for me to kind of take forward into my producing life is that I like being quite organized and I like being quite a focused person. But um, so having done all these these manner of just crazy jobs, I've, uh, I've been a fire breather in nightclubs. <laughs> basically anything I could to stop myself getting a proper full-time job taking me away from my you know kind of split life doing performance um so I was doing uh, for a long time I was a magician's assistant um that's mad that's and, brilliant yeah. and I worked in an ice cream shop uh which was great um but I, I was doing all sorts of things anyway um when I met my partner James Heyman Morton 
who is also on this project as a musical director, a very talented man. Uh, I've, I've got to just interject here to say this is, this is true. Uh, that James Homer Morton is absolutely astonishing. I haven't had the, the pleasure of working with him over the last few months on this project. <laughs> the man, it's one of those things where he's just one of those people, as actually are you, uh, one of those people where you just kind of go, oh, wow, I didn't realize you could do that as well. <laughs> you know, you just sort of go about things. And it's like, you know, he sort of said, oh, I can edit a promo. And it's like, everyone thinks they can edit. And then you see his work and you go, oh my God, no, this man can really edit. So yeah, it's another <laughs> astonishingly talented person we're lucky to have on board. Anyway, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. Prodigal child, he's, uh, he's not really many things that he can't do. He's very talented. But um, we were uh, doing all sorts of, all sorts of jobs. Um, and we just got to the point where we couldn't, couldn't do that sort of thing anymore. Um, James was already uh, starting to design uh, escape rooms. At the time he was living up north, he was living in Peterborough, so he was starting to design escape rooms uh, for another company. At that time, I was working in immersive theatre, um, and something that I absolutely adore, something that is, I'm, I'm really very passionate about, is interactive theatre in, in sort of uh, gamification, so not just like oh, a murder yeah. mystery or, you know, where, or a, a kind of immersive show where things are happening around you, but for you to actually impact what's going on as well, for you to be part of the story, to actually change the outcome by your behaviour, behind your, your decisions, uh, is something that I find really, really fascinating and something that I really love creating as well and, and uh, working together with actors to create experiences where, you know, they are constantly helping to manipulate an outcome based on the audience member and I think that yeah. for me comes as being a, an actor and certainly you know an actor in film I get to be part of all manner of adventures you know I've I've been you know in, in lots of horror films and been loads of characters I've been loads of plays and, and lived in all sorts of lives but for for you know people who aren't involved in the arts they have their, their main life they have their hobbies and for me it is such a fulfilling feeling to take somebody who is from a, you know, a, a less uh, kind of extrovert walk of life and put them in, in the centre of their own adventure. Yeah. Um, actually see how they behave when they're taken out of their comfort zone and actually make them the star of their own, you know, own episode of Doctor Who or their own, you know, episode of a horror movie. You know, it's, it's fascinating. I, uh, because of this and, and, you know, James and I uh, got together and we got talking and we started just immediately bouncing ideas off of each other for uh, experiences that we could create. We started up the company Deadlocked uh, in Reading, our first branch. Uh, we started there with two rooms um, and then we gradually spread out, uh, you know, every time we'd find a little bit of space somewhere, somebody would come to us and say, oh, you know, we've got this place, you know, it's a bit of dead space, we've got nothing else to do with it, um, could you create something there? Um, and we just, we just take it on. I mean, James and myself are relentless workaholics we um we don't say no to projects ever even when they're terrible even when it's a bad idea <laughs> uh just because we love moving we love we love we love working we love taking opportunity and seeing uh i know i speak for ourselves the royal we but but certainly myself and it's why we get on to very fabulously well uh you know we we love to take an opportunity and see just what the hell we can do with it um so you know like like they say there are no small parts for actors i truly believe that uh, there are no small opportunities. Everything is a, is a big opportunity. It depends what you do with it. So when, uh, you know, when we found these little bits of space and these little um, chances to create things were coming up, I mean, we were making them. We had no capital. We had mm. no um, outside investment. 
um, we really had no money. You know, anything that we were getting was from our outside work, you know, various, both, both of us do a bit of voiceover work, um, any, any bits of work we could get. And as you know, there's very little money in the film industry. People always mm -hmm. think you're an actor, you, you must have loads of designer clothes and you must uh, <laughs> have lots of money. Um, but unfortunately, no. And uh, we had no kind of um, patrons or anything like that. So we were just hand making puzzles, mm. you know, out of all sorts of you know, makeup and twigs and poo and all sorts of things we could find around in skips. We were turning into puzzles. And um, a big thing that we really love to do is upcycle things that would otherwise go to landfill sites, all sorts of tech we strip out of things to give it a new lease of life and stop it plugging up the earth, um, which is very preachy. I won't go into it, but um, we, we like to basically take things that we can find and make them into something weird, give it another lease of life and purpose. Uh, and so because of that, we started growing, you know, more and more and more. And we had uh, at last count three venues with a handful of escape rooms at each venue. Um, then, of course, a uh, little known event uh, this year, the pandemic struck. I didn't um, hear about that. What, what was this pandemic? Uh, I think it's something to do with Brexit. And oh, right, okay. <laughs> Trump got very angry about bleach and right. how he be drinking more of it. I try but, and avoid that kind of news, you know, it just bums me out. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I mean, I've been outside, you know, licking all sorts of windows and, and you know, making sure that I could sneeze on everybody I could. Um, yeah. Because, you know, basically, Bill Gates can't stop me. Um, but... Uh, there was this pandemic and uh, meant obviously we had to close all of our premises, which was awful um, because we had all these these buildings that, and, you know, relentless landlords, I won't go into it, they're very tedious, but uh, landlords that wanted us to obviously pay for the, the space that we had and, you know, being personal guarantors for all of the properties, uh, as you have to do with a commercial building, we could not get out of our leases. So we had properties that were empty for six mm. months. Oh, um, that's brutal. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and you know, whilst you know, obviously there were spare bits of space, there was still there was still rent to pay on them. Yeah. Um, so it was absolutely brutal, and any any help that we had from the government was literally just going straight into paying off our rent and and making sure that you know we could keep those keep hold of those places without being taken to court, which was the most important thing. Mm. Um, so when the yeah we, you know when when that happened, we had to close our doors. We had to think of another way to survive. Um, and we started designing virtual escape rooms. Um, now this was for us, it was mostly at the start, a way of trying to keep our customers from yeah. demanding yeah. refunds um, because we, we kind of take our bookings in advance, much like the theatre, you know, you buy a ticket for, you know, a week or so away and all, you know, Hindus, we get a lot of corporate team building events, you know, they're all booked up in advance. So you know, when we thought we were going to have to close with, you know, three weeks is what we were told from the government. Um, we, we, you know, contacted all of our customers and said, look, rather than taking, you know, a refund from us, which will absolutely devastate us. And we had to do quite a bit, you know, thousands and thousands, which was heartbreaking, sent us into temporary debt, which was very, very difficult, um, having never been in, in that kind of debt. Uh, so rather than take a refund, would you possibly, you know, hold on to, to this as like a voucher and, you know, we'll reschedule it for a time when we can open again for your lovely corporation, have this virtual escape room that we've designed uh, taking place across, you know, web hunts and interactions with uh, fictitious Facebook characters. Um, so we created these little worlds, which is what we love to do with world building, yeah. but entirely online. Um, and that we had 
quite a bit of success with those, which was amazing. We had people that weren't our regular customers suddenly all over the world in Africa and Israel and uh, everywhere wanted to come and, and well, play our uh, skate rooms from home. So uh, we had some success with that. We were able to get out of a little bit of debt. We were able to start feeding ourselves again, which was great. because Congratulations. We mums which was um, yeah. sending sending little bits of shopping over which was in your 30s devastating but uh was a necessary evil. Um, i was gonna i was gonna say i mean the the reason really that i asked about um the escape rooms on what is a film podcast was um really because having played a couple of those online ones it really is this brilliant sort of mashing together of presumably a very similar skill set in some ways in that you bring to the production and that you bring to the, that kind of world building where it, it's that in a different format it, you, there is performance and there is video and there is in the the kind of virtual escape rooms it, it nudges that line between if the if the in-person ones edge into theater the virtual ones in some cases do edge into kind of film entertainment and I, I think that's fascinating yeah. I, I, I love it um yeah, we we, that. We, we've got we, um, oh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> no I mean we just just gonna say we, we love combining filmmaking because obviously that's a big part of what we do and you know we get to for various things get our, our other actor mates in to do various bits and and now we get to pay them which is is lovely which is a really great thing hooray that doesn't yeah. happen often in the film industry nowadays <sighs> No, exactly, exactly. And it's really nice to be able to do that. And and obviously creating a film is something that we can do easy. You know, we've got lots of filming equipment. Um, but I think a big part of it, the reason why it translates so well, you know, to uh, across producing as well, is it's just about keeping so many plates spinning. It's yeah. about thinking about things so holistically and thinking, you know, okay, if we if we create this tiny little element, it will set us up for something later on. Um, and getting ahead of yourself, which is what I very much like to do. Um, so, uh, I mean, we're, we're now, you've got the virtual escape rooms running along one side. You're producing Power Tool Cheer Cheerleaders versus the Boy Band of the Screeching Dead alongside that. You're starring in the movie alongside that. that that's, how do you avoid burnout? Um, that's a very good question. I, to be honest, you know, I drink a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's very good at suppressing a lot of emotions. No, obviously not. I, you know, I'm... I don't drink every day, uh, certainly not all day every day. Um, I, I do, I do suffer from burnout occasionally, but uh, for me, it tends to come in the form of, I'll wake up one morning, I cannot get out of bed. Um, I will be completely hit down. I am very lucky and I don't mean to, to be saccharine and, and, you know, talk about my blessed romance too much, but I am very lucky in that, you know, I have a partner that has always got my back and works in my industry. So he, he knows that if I get burnout and for, you know, for the day, I cannot move, I cannot deal with corporate emails. I cannot run games. Uh, he knows that it's because I'm working so bloody hard the rest of the time. Yeah. So he picks up the slack and I do the same. You know, we, we both, we both know when it's coming, I think now, and we both know our own um, personalities ourselves enough to know when it's coming. Uh, so we try to, to prepare for it and just go, okay, cool. Well, you take things a bit easy. I've got this. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's not, it's not a case of, I don't, ha I, I avoid burnout. I, I just, I suffer from it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> terribly, but, um, but bounce back, you know, yeah. that's the whole, whole thing. You just, you, you deal with it. And I think the thing is, is not going, okay, I'm depressed or I'm, I've burned out and that's the end of it. I think it's acknowledging it and going, okay, I'm, I know that today I feel entirely self-indulgent. It's because I'm exhausted. There's a reason for it. Okay, cool. I'll let myself feel it. 
and then I'll move on. Totally. Uh, we're, we're five days from the end of the Kickstarter. Uh, it will probably be less than that uh, by the time people are actually listening to this podcast. In fact, the vast majority of people listening to this podcast will be listening to it after we've, we've actually sort of completed this. But at, at this particular point, with five days left to run, uh, we're approaching our kind of 25k um, target. The, the, the Kickstarter, by the way, if people haven't actually checked it out yet, is at jinx.uk. You can check that out. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing you as a producer as we go through the end of the Kickstarter and into production on the movie? So I think the hardest part, first of all, is going to be making sure that we can have a socially distant film set. Uh, I think the way that we're going to get around this initially is by filming our smaller scenes with smaller casts. Uh, you know, we already are prepared. I've been investigating myself the, the cheapest way to get bulk corona tests uh, so that we can, we can prepare. If we do have to have scenes where people are closer together, we can make sure if they haven't been isolating for two weeks prior to shoot that, uh, you know, they can come to set tested. Um, we're making sure that we have loads of provisions, loads of PPE, loads of alcohol gel, uh, just making sure that we can be as safe as we can be. Um, that said, obviously, there are mad risks right now with, with making sure that, you know, people can can get to set, can afford to, to come to set. Um, and I think the most important thing for me weighing on my mind right now uh, is just making sure that with our Kickstarter, we can make enough to make sure people aren't out of pocket coming to set. Yeah, um, they don't have to worry. They don't have to think, you know, can I, at this horrible time, can I afford to go and do a low budget film right now? You know, that is the privilege that I have had for a really long time is I've, I've worked my butt off and been able to, you know, doing all sorts of jobs where I haven't had been able to have sick days. I haven't been able to, you know, because they've not been proper jobs. I haven't had, you know, holiday pay um, because I've done that. And because of that, it, I've been able to do films where I've not been paid at all or been paid in sandwiches right yeah. so for me the most important thing is making sure that we don't have a situation where our actors go you know what I've, I've got to go and work somewhere else I've got to think of something else to do I cannot afford to to go off and do a you know a low budget yeah. film right now um, and that is why we're doing this kickstarter is is making sure that we have actors who who can come and be involved in the arts um and and not have to to worry so much about this horrible time right now absolutely and just sort of before we before we wrap up if you were going to pitch it uh to anyone who who was as yet undecided as to why on earth they should uh, should back a movie called power tool cheerleaders versus the boy band of the screeching dead as if that didn't sell it to them in the first place but if anybody was undecided out there how would you pitch it to them Power Tour Cheerleaders versus the boy band of The Screeching Dead is a wild, gory, mashup horror musical. Uh, I would say it draws influences from Evil Dead 2 versus Bring It On uh, versus, of course, Anna and the Apocalypse. Uh, it is a, a wild film uh, that's got a lot of heart behind it. It is something that is being made at a time when not a lot of other films are being made right now. Uh, and it so desperately, desperately needs a bit of support. Um, it is a crazy, film made like i say by a bunch of people in the industry for a really 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 long time we've learned how not things uh, and this is the film we want to do right fantastic charlie thank you so so much for being my first guest on this fledgling podcast uh, my pleasure. 
and and for for all of our crazy journeys on on making this movie um and hopefully you'll you'll come back on a later one if it's what i don't know podcasts tend to die after what about four episodes seems to be the norm so, so <laughs> let's make it five yeah exactly we'll make it to five we'll bring you back and we can talk about that then but thank you so much for coming on that's awesome awesome thanks so much Pat. see you Cheers. on set bye bye Right, that kind of brings us to the end of this first episode of Jinx, the uh, Pat Higgins Film Podcast. Um, as I say, it's going to be your last chance. I'm, I'm not going to be able to keep badgering you about the Kickstarter for any future episodes of this podcast because, quite simply, it finishes in five days. So head over to jinx.uk and you can see what we're talking about. You can check out our, all our promo material uh, and the, the video that we've made and so on. Um, and yeah thank you ever so much for listening do drop us a line let us know um, what we can do who you'd like us to speak to uh, give us any feedback do I talk too quickly yes I do I already know that piece of feedback but um, thank you ever so much for listening and I will catch you on the flip side take care my name is Pat Higgins and my conscience is clear <laughs>